so far this morning, even though it's still a little bit early, you've already made many decisions. Your first decision was whether or not to wake up and come and lose an hour of sleep and be here today. You made decisions about what you would eat or not eat or what you would wear or whether you'd brush your teeth. You've made numerous decisions today and your neighbor knows whether you brushed your teeth or not. But all throughout our lives, we have small decisions that are daily, and we have other decisions that are big, critical moment decisions. But I'd imagine that most of us, if not all of us, have never had a decision quite like Stanislav Petrov, who in 1983 was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Air Defense Forces at the height of the Cold War. His task was to monitor the systems that would indicate whether or not the United States had launched nuclear missiles against the Soviet Union. No small task. At a time when the Soviets believed that an attack from the United States was imminent, they believed that the United States would launch multiple nuclear missiles their direction, and so their counter-strategy was already in place, as if the United States launches, we will immediately launch a massive full-scale nuclear response and a strategy known as mutually assured destruction. We may go down, but we're going to get our missiles off in time to take them with us. And in 1983, it was the height of this Cold War, and Petrov's job was to watch the indicator lights, and if those indicator lights went off, he was to tell his superior officer who was to tell his superior officer, and they would launch this massive counterattack. On September 26, 1983, Petrov was sitting at his station. All of a sudden, an indicator light goes off. The United States has launched a nuclear missile. Petrov sits there for a minute. His job is to immediately tell his supervisor, and he waits. He says, I'm not sure that's not a malfunction. And he waits. Then a second light, a third light, a fourth light and a fifth light go off. The U.S. has now launched five nuclear missiles at the Soviet Union. His job is to tell his superior so that they can launch a counterattack. And yet Petrov believes the system is failing. And so instead of telling his superior, he holds on to that information and overrides the system. Can you imagine that? If he's wrong? If he's wrong, they're his people will have been hit with five nuclear missiles before they even launch a thing. But all the indicator lights tell him one thing, all his command orders tell him one thing, and yet he says, I believe something, the right decision is a different direction. So he waits those agonizing minutes to figure out whether those missiles hit the Soviet Union or not. That time comes and that time goes and no missiles hit. Petrov was right, the system had failed. And he came to be known as the man who single-handedly prevented nuclear war by disobeying orders and disobeying every indicator light right in front of him. See, you and I want to always make the right decision, don't we? Don't we want to go the right direction as believers in Christ? We want to follow what the Lord has called us to. Yet how often in life does the Lord meet us at a right here, right now moment of the crossroads where all our indicator lights tell us we should go this way. All our circumstances, all our experience says go this way and God says, I want you to go this way. How easy is it to follow the Lord in that moment? So if you've got your words, we're going to follow Moses 
as the Lord hits him at a right here, right now crossroads and see how he responds when everything around him says go the other direction. So if you got your word, we're going to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now while you're turning, I want to remind you that our lead pastor, Kevin Eckert, over the last four weeks has been walking us through a vision series, preparing the stages for us to be able to move forward into the future. And he talked about these right here, right now moments. And in two weeks, he's going to start a new series in the book of Joshua. But this week and next week, we're going to look at how people responded to right here, right now moments and how we prepare as individuals this week And next week, we'll look at the group of people, at the Israelites as a whole, and how they responded when the Lord brought them to a right here, right now moment. So looking in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So here's Moses minding his own business, minding his flock of sheep, right? Just going about his day. And God meets him right in the middle of that average day. Moses doesn't really have any idea who it is until God says, hey, this is holy ground. I'm the God of your forefathers. And then Moses hides his face in recognition that this is a God that he's supposed to recognize but doesn't really know well. So from that moment, God tells him, says, hey, Moses, I've seen the oppression of my people down in Egypt. I've heard their cries out to me, and I have a better land for them, a land of milk and honey. And then what does God tell Moses to do in verse 10? He says this, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. See, Moses, minding his own flock, says, hey, I'm minding my flock. And God says, I've got a different flock for you to go mind. I want you to go to Egypt. You ever had that moment where life's just clicking along, going well, and the Lord intersects your life right at a critical moment, and you're like, where did that come from? Well, here's Moses being told by God to go. Let's look at how he responded in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm nobody. Why would you call me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? See, if you know Moses' history, you know that he fully believes he's disqualified for this task. Because Moses was an Israelite who grew up in Egypt. At a time when Pharaoh, he was born at a time when Pharaoh had all the baby boys killed. And so his mom put him in a basket in a river and it floated down river. And you remember this story. Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket. And a roundabout way has Moses' own mom raise him for a while. And then she, Pharaoh's daughter, raises Moses in her home. Moses 
is uniquely positioned as someone who is an Israelite but has been raised in, by the daughter of Pharaoh. He can maneuver between both sets of people. But then as he's raised and gets older, he finds one of the Egyptian soldiers mistreating one of the Israelite slaves. So what does he do? He kills him and then hides the soldier. He believes the Israelites will value him for this and later sees two Israelites fighting. And he says, hey, why don't you two stop? And they said, what are you going to do? Kill us too? And then he realizes he's been found out. Pharaoh wants to kill him, so he leaves Egypt. So when God says, I want you to go to Egypt, can you imagine the thoughts running through Moses' mind? What do you mean, me? Don't you remember I'm the guy they want to kill? Don't you remember that your own people didn't respect me or care about me? Why do you want me to be that guy? I'm uniquely disqualified. Look at how the Lord responded to him in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. You know what God just told him? He said, Moses, you're looking at you and I want you to look at me. I want you to see me instead of you. Because if I go with you, it doesn't matter who you are. See, this story is not really about Moses. It's about God revealing who he is so Moses will learn to trust and follow him. Because Moses has to learn who God is. And in this moment, God said, I will be with you. Well, here's the reality of that. You just saw that Moses goes on to ask him, what is your name? Who do I tell them that you are? Because if it's me and someone asks me to do something, they say, I'll be with you. Well, I want to know what their credentials are for me to trust them. So here's, here's an example of it. If someone came up to me and said, I'll give you $5 million if you climb Mount Everest this climbing season and come back down. It's waiting in my bank account for you. And they say, by the way, I'll be with you the whole way. It matters to me who's going up that mountain with me. See, I love our staff. I love the guys we have on staff. I love working with them. But if David Griffin says, I'll be with you going up that mountain, I'm going to look at him and say, David, we're going to die up there together. Because I will trust David to take me to Tennessee and teach me how to talk in the back country of Tennessee. But I'm not going to trust David to take me up the mountain. But if the best climber in the world, who's climbed it multiple times, comes up to me and says, I'll train you, I'll teach you, I'll gear you out, and I will take you up there and I'll bring you down. That's a totally different scenario. When God says, I will be with you to Moses, what matters is who God is. So then Moses' next question is, who are you? 
Who am I supposed to tell them you are? Look at his response. He says, I am who I am, or I am that I am. We could spend weeks just trying to unpack that. We're not spending our time there today. But what I want you to see is in and of itself, this statement means that God is self-sustaining. He has complete power, complete authority. He does not need anything outside of himself except for himself. So you and I, we need other things. We need oxygen. We need water. We need food. We need earth to be at the exact right tilt on its axis. We need the sun in its exact right location. We need lots of things to be played out exactly right. You could take all that away, take all the galaxies away, and God in and of himself is completely sustained and just fine. He's got incredible power and authority. This name is a name of authority and power. Then what else does he say about his name? He said, I'm the God of your forefathers. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He's not just simply some big cosmic God with all this power. He's been a God that's cared about these people for generations. He's not a distant, powerful God. He's a present, caring, generous God who cares about his people. See, if God was just powerful and didn't care about the people, he'd be a tyrant. Moses doesn't need to follow a tyrant. But if he's loving and generous and compassionate with no power, he's no more than a golden retriever. Right? We all love having a golden retriever by us, but he can't fix our problems. What God just said was, I am neither tyrant nor empty of power. With just compassion, I have both. And Moses, I want you to follow me. So when I say I'll go with you, I'm going with you with power and with compassion and love for my people. And so when the Lord calls us in our right here, right now moments, do not miss who it is that's going with you. He has all power and he loves you and cares for you with incredible grace. So then God tells Moses, go to the elders of my people. Tell them that I've spoken to you. Tell them I've seen what's happening to them and tell them that I've got a better land for them. Right? That's the directives he's given. Then look at verse 18. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders I will perform among them. After that, he will let them go. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but you're to tell the people to ask all the Egyptians for their stuff. And they're just literally going to give it to you and let you walk out of Egypt having plundered them. You catch what God just did with Moses? He told him, he said, hey, I'm going to tell you what to do. And not only only am I going to tell you what to do, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Wouldn't you love for that to be the case? Like you walk out of your door every morning, the little bush next to your front door burns up. And you look and you go, good morning, God. And he said, good morning, Kurt. Here's the plan for the day. I want you to cancel the breakfast with the guy that you originally had. And I want you to call this other guy because I want you to spend some time with him. And then I want you to drive down into Austin and go to this underpass as a homeless guy I want you to talk to. Then when you come home tonight, I want you to take your wife on a date. Great, let's make that plan work. 
And then he says, by the way, this is what's going to happen. The guy you were going to have breakfast with, he's really not interested right now in in meeting with you. So he was just doing it to be polite. So I'm taking you to a guy that's going to be more responsive. Um, And the the homeless guy down there, he's going to act like he doesn't care what you have to say. I'm going to use that years from now in his life. So you just go be faithful to share with him. And your wife, when you take her on a date tonight, it is going to mean so much to her. And it's going to move your relationship forward in incredible ways. Cool. Okay, God, let's do that. Wouldn't you love that if that happened every morning? And, and what we believe is if we had that kind of clarity, we would obey. We'd follow. But look at the kind of clarity Moses has and look at his immediate response in verse 1 of chapter 4. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? So jump back up to verse 18 of chapter 3. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses said, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? You catch that? God just told him, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're to do, and they're going to listen to you. Moses' first question, what if they don't listen to me? Right? The doubt just immediately crept in. Here's, Here's what is so important for us to gather and know. Moses had all clarity. And it still didn't mean obedience. Why? Because he had clarity without connection and relationship. He still was figuring out who God is. See, we can get all kinds of clarity and still miss following the Lord. Connection is what builds the trust where there is no clarity. And clarity without connection does not lead us to trust. So here's what happens in our lives. We spend so much time, God, give me clarity. God, give me clarity. Show me what's in front of me. I want to obey you, but I need a clear picture. We see all throughout Scripture, God's people seeking clarity, don't we? And God provided clarity over and over again, and people still didn't respond to him. Look at all the prophets in the Old Testament. When they came to the people and they said, hey, you are walking in rebellion and you've got idols all over the place. Put those idols aside because God's given you clarity. Destruction is coming if you don't set them aside. You know what they did? They kept worshiping their idols. In the New Testament, people walked alongside Jesus. They spent time literally watching Jesus do the miracles that he did. And many of them still didn't follow him. It was not about clarity. It was about the relationship and connection with the Lord. If you and I will seek the Lord and be faithful in pursuit of Him, clarity is not going to matter because God will bring it in the right timing. If we believe He's all-powerful and we've learned to trust His character and His goodness, that He wants what's best for us in light of His glory, we'll follow Him regardless of what all the indicators tell us about our circumstances around us. If we are faithful to connect to him in his word and in prayer and in confession and seeking him, we'll be all the more ready to obey whenever he meets us at our right here, right now moments. Because the indicator lights of our circumstances will not dictate whether or not we're ready to listen the character of God and the relationship we have with him will dictate where we go. 
Notice in this moment, Moses had a greater fear of man than he did a trust of God. And I could probably go around the room and most of us would say we've had moments where we feared man more than we trusted God. And that could have been a hindrance here that kept Moses from obeying and following. And the way we walk through that is connecting more closely with the Lord in deep relationship. So what does the Lord do here? Right, the, the Lord then comes to Moses and he doesn't just strike him down and say, well, forget you. He says, fine, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll give you some help. I'll show you that I am who I say that I am. He said, take your staff, throw it on the ground. Moses takes his staff, throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. I love these verses because it, ta- it says then that he ran away from it. Like this has to be a comical scene, right? He throws this stick down and then becomes a snake and he takes off. Like, if it's me and I throw that stick down and it becomes a rattler, I'm gone. Right? I'm over here standing by another bush going, God, you burn this bush because I ain't going back to that one. And then God says, you pick up that snake by the tail. Again, imagine picking up a rattler by the tail. He picks it up, turns back into a staff. God says, put your hand in your cloak. Take it out. It's white as snow with leprosy. He's got this diseased hand. God says, put it back in your cloak. Puts it back in, pulls it back out. It's clean. I'd be doing that all day long. I can't believe this is happening. Right? Like this is God showing his power. And God says, if they don't believe those two signs, here, I'm going to give you another one. Take some water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and it's going to become blood. Right, like God in his compassion knows Moses is learning who he is. And so in his grace, he's like, okay, I'll help you out. I'll show you a little bit of my power. I'm going to do way more once you trust me. But right now, I'll give you a little bit. I'll give you a step, show you how to, that you can trust me. And don't you think then Moses is going to go, okay, I got it. Let's go, God. What's Moses' next response? Verse 10 of chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So Moses moves to a new excuse, right? He's like, okay, God, well, let me just point this out to you. You've asked me to go to Pharaoh, the leader of the land, and talk to him. Uh, Did you forget that I have a speech problem? I'm not qualified for this. Moses is still looking at himself. I'm not qualified for this job. I have a flaw. I have a weakness. That that eliminates me from being able to do this. You know, Moses had just challenged the Lord, hadn't he? He just said, hey, you created me with a weakness, so if you wanted me to do this task, you should have changed the way you made me. You ever felt that way toward the Lord? Tension begins to rise in the conversation at this point. Look at the Lord's response in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God begins to respond a little bit more here of going, Moses, don't you know that I made you? Don't you know I made you exactly the way you are for the exact role that I've called you to? We tend to look at our weaknesses and say, God can't work there. And God tends to say, right at the midst of your weaknesses where I can do the most work. 
and where I want to do the most work. But when we look at ourselves and we look at our weaknesses, we miss opportunities to let the Lord do a work that we couldn't imagine. See, Paul in the New Testament talks about when the Lord tells him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, then I boast all the more in my weaknesses, right? Because it's about God's glory. How's God's strength made perfect in weakness? Well, think about the way that you and I came to know Christ. That is the weakest we will ever be is spiritually speaking, we were dead in our sins, Right? Our sin nature said, we want to sit in the seat of God. I want to sit on the, on the throne of authority and not let God sit there. And there is no way that we can fix the brokenness between us and God on our own strength. But we sure tried. We tried a lot of ways to fix that brokenness. And every time we try, it's revealing all the more of the weakness that we can't fix it. And that brokenness is innate within us from the time we're born. I love having kids because little kids show me over and over again that sin nature is built right in. I was driving home from Dallas when one of our sons was about four years old. He's sitting in the back seat. It's me and him. And he kind of chimes in all of a sudden from the back and says, Daddy, I want a different God to make me. It's quite a question. It's quite a statement. Okay, Eli. What God do you want to make you? He sits up real straight in his car seat, puts his chin in the air, and he says, Eli. What he just articulated as a four-year-old was he wanted to sit in the seat of authority of his own life and didn't want God to sit there. That sin nature is within every single one of us. We just get bigger and know better than to say it out loud. Right? It's there. And yet in that weakness, what did God do? Our inability to meet his standard or to bridge the gap, God said, I will send my son to live a perfect sinless life, to die a death, to pay the penalty for you, and to come back to life and provide a way so that you in your weakness can now be made in perfect relationship with me if you would confess, believe, repent, and trust in me. God's power made perfect in our weakness because of his son. Over and over again, God wants to work in our areas of weakness. It's an indicator light that tells us we can't be used by God in certain situations. When God says, if you would look at me, I'll do all the more in that area of weakness than you could ever ask or imagine. God was telling Moses, it's time to follow me. Even in the area you don't want exposed but I'm worth trusting in that place. So you think now Moses is going to respond, right? Surely it's time to go. Verse 13 may be the most honest statement Moses makes. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Right? He's out of excuses and finally just says, I don't want to go. You ever been in that place? Where you've sensed the Lord calling, leading, directing, and you finally just feel out of excuses and go, that's it, I just don't want to do it. I'm just done. Because there's all these indicator lights that tell me I don't want to go that way. Right? There's, what are two of the biggest ones are comfort and safety. Right? My comfort tells me that if I follow the Lord in this route, it's going to be uncomfortable, and I don't know if I can trust Him that direction. 
if God calls us with our resources to be generous towards him, I don't know if I can trust him with all of that. Because if the indicator lights tell me if I entrust my time, my energy, my finances to the Lord, and I entrust all of it to him, that I might be left out in the cold. When God says, trust me, I'm big enough to cover all of it. Or the boundary of safety, right? You know there's a difference between safety and security. Safety is this idea that we will work hard to try to prevent ourselves or our kids or other people around us from ever being in a place that's risky or dangerous. And again, if you've ever been a parent, you understand there's no way to prevent from every single risk or danger. We chase after this illusion of complete safety, knowing all the while we'll never attain it. We just do the best that we can. But security... Security means entrusting ourselves to the Lord. It says that no matter what the situation or circumstance he calls me to, whether it is unsafe or not, that is not the dictator of whether I follow and obey because I'm confident in my security in him. See, look all throughout scripture to find that. Look at Joseph. Joseph was thrown in a well by his brothers and they were going to let him die. Then they sold him into slavery. Then he was accused of a crime he didn't commit. And then he was imprisoned. Joseph's life was anything but safe. But at the end of this story, what what does he tell his brothers? When his brothers believe that he's going to harm them, he says, what you intended for evil, God will use for good. He knew he was secure in the hand of the Lord the entire time he was in unsafe circumstances. Or Paul in the New Testament, when he was shipwrecked multiple times, imprisoned, beaten, all kinds of things plotted against. His life was never safe, but it was completely secure. Or even go to Acts and look at Stephen. Stephen had told the people, he had called them out. The people had been rejecting the Lord and Stephen called them back and said, turn and follow the Lord. The people didn't like it. They didn't like what he was saying. And so in a moment, Stephen looks up and he sees, he says, it says he sees heaven open up and he sees God standing there with the Son of Man in his right hand. And that was enough for the crowd. They began to stone him. And at the moment where Stephen's safety was completely obliterated, his security was unchanged. Because you know what he said? He asked the Lord, I commit my spirit to you. He knew in that moment while they were taking his very physical life, his soul was secure before the Lord. You know what his next statement was after he knew he was going to be with the Lord and committed himself to the Lord? His next next statement was, Lord, forgive their sin. Forgive this sin of theirs. Because he was more concerned with their security than he was even with safety. There's a family in this church that has a young adult kid that currently is in an unsafe place carrying the gospel. And I love talking to these parents. Because when you talk to them, they're very honest about, we would love to have our kid with us. We'd love for them to be here. We'd love to to be around them to see what's happening and to get to make sure that they're as safe as we can make them. And then they always have this next big statement. They go, but. We know the most secure place our kiddo can be is in the hands of God following his plan. And they just begin to beam 
with pride that their kiddos follow in the Lord. As a parent, are you ready? Grandparent, are you ready to entrust those kids and grandkids to the Lord's security rather than your ability to provide safety? Because at times, God's leading, God's right here, right now moments are going to draw us away from what all the indicator lights tell us is the safest decision. So when Moses finally gives his last excuse, the Lord is done with excuses. In verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Not a phrase you ever want to hear about yourself. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He'll speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. See the character of God, even as his anger burns against Moses. He says, I'm still going to provide a way for you. Fine, your brother Aaron, he's already on the way. God had already made provision. Aaron was on the way. I'll let Aaron speak for you and you speak to him for me. God shows his strength and his compassion all together in this moment. And what we see about the story of Moses is Moses goes on to trust the Lord. God does incredible works in Egypt. God does incredible works in the people. And if you go on to read Exodus, you'll read how Moses began to trust the Lord more every time the Lord called him out. Why? Because he spent time connecting with the Lord. What you'll see is Moses meeting with the Lord. And you'll see the Lord calling him to something and Moses going, all right, let's go. Because the more he connected with the Lord, the more he saw the Lord work and the more he trusted what God told him over what his circumstances told him. Sure, he still has hiccups along the way. He has time where he has some doubts. But God does a work in his life whenever he is faithfully pursuing that relationship. His excuses begin to fade away and his life becomes more available to the Lord. And he begins to learn how to be teachable. That when, when he is unsure in what he sees and what he thinks is right and true, he recognizes his sin nature corrupts his thinking. And so he's going to be teachable and allow the Lord to teach him a new direction. Faithful, available, teachable. We want to be fat people. Right? Faithful, available, teachable. Go put that on your social media today and see what happens. I want to be fat. But this reality that as Moses was available to the Lord, he was ready for any of those right here, right now moments. And God did more than he could ever ask or imagine. I know you could all share your stories of those moments. Michelle and I had one, and even coming here to be on staff at this church almost six years ago. I was doing college ministry at a church I loved. I believe college ministry was what God had called me to do. In fact, part of my seminary degree was focused on college ministry. We were clicking along. We were shepherding the flock God had called us to work with. When the Lord caught me at a right here, right now crossroads and said, I got something different for you guys. My first response was much like Moses. Except my excuse was just, I think I'm hearing you wrong. 
because we're doing what you want us to do right here. And God said, no, it's time to go. And so the next thing I looked for was clarity. Okay, Lord, show me what's next. And it was so clear, the Lord was like, no, I'm not showing you what's next. It's time to follow me. Well, hey, God, I've got two kids and my wife's pregnant with number three. I need clarity. And he said, no, you need me. And we took a step of faith out, trusting that God was good and that God was powerful and that he was enough. The doors didn't immediately open. The road was not immediately smooth. But God did open the right door to bring us to a right place that he wanted us to be. And we are so incredibly thankful that we followed his leading. It's not always easy to trust the Lord in those right here, right now moments when every indicator light says do something different. But as you and I make our lives available to the Lord, we'll see the blessing of his hand in ways you never thought possible. So that's the question for you today. Wherever your right here, right now crossroad moment is, are you going to follow him and trust him? Are you going to follow the circumstances that are around you? There's one direction where you see the blessing of God. And we all want to walk forward in that direction. Because none of us want to make a decision that's the wrong decision. We all want to see the blessing of God in our lives. And we want our lives to matter and mean something. And when we step out and trust him, We'll see his work in our lives in ways that will blow our minds.